0: All right, now we're in business. If you're at home, we're uh, w- watching, uh, streaming, uh, then we do have, uh, we are experimenting with the microphones and trying to get the, my microphone to work well, but uh, it's a process, so we'll get there. We're beginning a new sermon series this week. Uh, so if you're here today, it means you're here for the next 10 weeks. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I hope that uh, if you were here for the previous series, you uh, got something out of that and, um, and and that you also get something out of this one. On Wednesday, uh, as was announced earlier, but if you missed it, we'll uh, begin our uh, second Wednesday night summer series with North Greece Road and uh, brother William Jones and the crew will be coming over to uh, Lawson Road here. Same time as usual, seven o'clock. And uh, he's going to bring us a a book, uh, uh, bring us a book, bring us a lesson from the book of Ephesians. So uh, it's a four-week series. We're actually going to take a two-week break in the middle, but it's a four-week series. And we're going to be looking at the prison epistles, which are the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison. Um, And so they are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So uh, we're actually going to begin with Ephesians and then the following week we'll all head to North Greece Road and I'll present a lesson there from uh, the book of Galatians. So as I just started looking over things to, uh, to prep my mind for teaching a class on Galatians, I realized that in the 15 years that I've been here at Lawson Road, we've not studied the book of Galatians in any Bible class or sermon series. Somehow it's slipped through the cracks. So, in the fall, we're going to be spending some time in Galatians, okay? So, you've been, been warned. <clears throat> Probably a Bible class and a sermon series, just for good measure, but, uh, and growth groups, yeah. Um, In chapter 1 of Galatians, which we we just read, uh, verses uh, 6 through 10, Paul describes how the churches receiving the the letters, the, the letter that he's writing, are being confronted by alternative Gospels. Alternative Gospels. In verse 8, he says, I have a a slide, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Okay, that'll get your attention, won't it? (laughs) How do I make sure that I'm not under God's curse? That sounds like a bad thing to be under, all right? Getting our gospel correct is pretty important. And so here's what we'll be discussing in the weeks ahead. Each of these is different elements of the gospel as presented in the New Testament. That list may look a little uh, unfamiliar to you because in my experience over the years, I've Notice that many people tend to define the gospel as hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized to be saved. And we often point to the Apostle Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 as the first great gospel presentation, which resulted in around 3,000 baptisms. But baptism isn't the gospel. The Apostle Paul describes the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, describes or summarizes, and uh, we start reading here at verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and ta- on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. That is, in this situation, is Paul's summary of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, buried, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So it doesn't actually contain that familiar list of us, what we might call the five steps of salvation. That's not the gospel. That may be how we respond to the gospel. But it's not the gospel. And so, so we need to be careful that we don't think that, oh, I'm going to teach you the gospel. You need to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and live faithfully ever after. Right? No, the gospel message is the message of Jesus. To keep things simple this morning, because that other slide, right, this one here, it's, uh, it's not so simple, right, nine parts, So uh, we're not going to get through all of those this morning. I'm going to keep things simple this morning. I want to break the concept into just two parts, just for today. Next week, we'll move up our level of complexity. (laughs) Some of you are saying, where can I be next Sunday? All right. The word gospel is not really an English word, um, but it has its meaning, if we were to put it into English, is good news, good news. And so these are the two parts. The first part is that the gospel is news. The gospel is news. What I mean by that is that the gospel is not good advice. It's not good instructions, it's not good feelings, good relationships, it's not good anything, it's good news, okay, and that news is Jesus, because when we say something is news, we mean that it's something that is real, it's, it's an event, it's a real thing. You don't expect to turn on the news at night and You know, have somebody read you a Harry Potter book, do you? Right? You're not there for Harry Potter, or for whatever the latest, Transformers, or whatever it might be. You're there for the news. You want to know something that really happened, not the imagination of someone else's mind. And so, when we say that we talk about the gospel, we talk about good news, we're talking about things that are real. Not even like advice, it can be real good, but it's advice, it's an idea, it's a concept. And sometimes I think it's, and, and I can be guilty, guilty of this, You know, we, we turn our faith, our Christianity into ideas, into thoughts, into concepts, into values, and, and they're all important, but when we talk about the gospel, we're not just talking about ideas, we're talking about a real person who lived in a real place at a real time and did real things, who really died, who really rose again from the dead. And so the gospel is real. It's news. It's why the first four books of the New Testament are called gospels. And and so you would think, oh, the first four books, gospels. I wonder what I'll find in a gospel a book that's a gospel. I know what I'll find in a book that is an encyclopedia. I know what I'll find in a book that's a biography, a book that's a fiction, a book that's an atlas. I know what I'll find in all those kind of books. What will I find in a book that's a gospel? Again, some of us would say, how how to be baptized? But what we find in our four books that are gospels, that are good news, is... Descriptions of the life and the teaching of Jesus. They tell us a lot about Jesus, but Paul tells us the gospel element that he focuses on the most is the end of Jesus' life. right? His death, burial, and resurrection. But it's everything that leads up to there that makes sense of what happens at the end. So Christianity isn't simply a moral code. I think some people look at the churches and they think, oh, they're just a bunch of do-gooders, right? Well, you can find bunches of do-gooders all over the place. Right? Churches, <laughs> we can't even live up to that sometimes, right? So we're not saying that we're, you know, people who are living a particular moral code. That's not what brings us together. We're not here because we think the Ten Commandments are the greatest ten rules on earth, right? We're not here because the Sermon on the Mount inspires us and that's what brings us together every Sunday because of all that great teaching and we want to live our lives in that particular way. We're here because of a person. Our faith is grounded in a historical reality that continues to be news. Good news, even, today. It's the news that something has happened, the result of which the world will always be a different place. That something is best, I believe, represented by the empty tomb. Jesus was killed, as millions of people have been, through time. But he's alive. His body was resuscitated, and then it was transformed before he ascended to the throne room of God. Now, news comes in different shapes and sizes. There's a good chance that there are people that don't know what this image is. There's a good chance that you get your news in a different way from the way your parents got their news. Okay, There's a, a good chance that you get your news in a different way from the way you got your news 20 years ago. Okay. So we can get news in all sorts of different ways. There's a lot of variety about it. It's not always relevant to everyone and we don't always have the same opinion about it, do we? So for instance, if I offer you a job that pays $15 an hour and you have a job that already pays you $20 an hour, then that's news. It's a real offer, but it's not really good news for you, right? <laughs> I mean you'd be working for me, that should be worth something, but maybe not $5 an hour. <clears throat> In contrast, If you've been unemployed for six months, your check account is empty, you're about to default on your mortgage, your car has just been repossessed, and I offer you a job for $15 an hour, it's good news, right? And and so, our circumstances often determine whether the news we're hearing is just news, or if it's good news, The significance of the news depends on the bigger picture. One of the things that's easy to miss in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which I had on the screen earlier in verse verse 3, oh, here it is, um, is that as a Jew, when Paul talks of Christ, he's not using it as a proper name like George, He's describing a position, the Messiah. The gospel begins with the Messiah, the anointed one who would rescue Israel and save the world. And that is the great news. The Messiah has arrived. That's where it, I mean, we probably just skimmed over that, right? And we just thought, oh yeah, Jesus has come and Jesus is going to die. But here, if you were a Jew hearing that, you're saying, hey, the Messiah. You go, whoa. We've been talking about the Messiah for centuries. Are you saying he's really here? And and there would be an extent to which some of us, if we were able to find definitive evidence that the yeti existed. Right? That that there would have been people in Jesus' day that said, oh yeah, there's as much chance of us finding the yeti as there is of the Messiah ever coming. Right? And we would laugh and we'd say, well, the Yeti's not real. There were people who would laugh and say, yeah, the Messiah's not real. How long have we been talking about the Messiah? They've been talking about the Messiah longer than we've been talking about the Yeti. And so when Paul says, the good news is the Messiah, if he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he has their attention. But the very next words are puzzling as they say that the Messiah died, right? The Messiah died for our sins. That's going to raise some questions now, isn't it? You build me up, you get me all excited about the Messiah, and now you tell me he's dead before I've even met him. That he was buried. And then look what happens next. He was raised again on the third day. And and I would suspect that you're thinking, oh, I want to hear more about that. (laughs) Right? If, If the Messiah was dead but now he's alive, I want to hear more about that. And you know, funny thing is, that's exactly what Paul goes on to talk about in the rest of that chapter. You see, Paul's summary of the gospel kind of fits the occasion of what it is that he's teaching them. He he may not have nine points. And in fact, in some places, we'll see him emphasize different different aspects of it. But here, where he's going to be teaching about the resurrection, he says, yeah, it's the Messiah, the death, and the uh, resurrection, burial resurrection. And now let's talk about that resurrection. So again... you might wonder or object that if this is such good news, if we get to glimpse eternity in the resurrection of Jesus, why is our world so messed up? Why is it that in just a moment we're going to gather in prayer cards and most of those prayer cards are going to be of things that are wrong in the world? And so, as we sit here and we're talking about good news, and we're talking about gospel, and we're talking about the Messiah and victory and glimpsing eternity through Jesus' resurrection. And yet, we're also dealing with the loss of loved ones. We're dealing with the the struggles to get out of bed in the morning as our bodies decay. We're talking about behavior and things that we see going on all around us. Why is our world so messed up? And and one reason you might ask this is because Christians have typically described the gospel as a means of escaping earth. The good news is that we can escape all this terrible stuff and that we can go to heaven. And bad luck to those left behind. They had their chance. And so in this way, we reconcile the suffering we see as something to be escaped from at the end of our life, and we just have to endure and live with it until then. But I want to look at this in a different way today. Let me describe how gospel was used in ancient Rome. Because that's perhaps, this predates even... The Christians using the word gospel, okay? So, so they're using a word that other people have already used, and so when they're saying, you know, um, when they're saying the Christian says gospel, it's already got a meaning, okay? And that meaning is is associated with the Roman emperors, and so Julius Caesar, um, you may know is the first real emperor of the the Roman Empire. And after he was assassinated, we have this civil war that breaks out because everybody wants to be emperor. And this is like a moment in a lifetime. And so there are two main generals that each have armies behind them that go to war. And the first of those is uh, Julius Caesar's Adopted son his name is Octavian there will be a quiz on the way out okay uh, and Julius so Julius's adopted son Octavian and his uh, friend Mark Antony you may have heard of Mark Antony before so with the support of Cleopatra Queen of Egypt Mark Antony gathers an army and he gets a lot of support not just from Egypt but from the region we call you know, the Middle East today. For instance, Herod the Great who was Herod when Jesus was born he threw his lot in with Mark Antony and And so they have this formidable you know, military force. However, Octavian ultimately defeats Mark Antony in a major sea battle uh, north of, of Egypt on the Mediterranean Sea on the 2nd of September, 31 B.C. So just 30 years before the birth of Jesus. Mark Antony and Cleopatra famously flee to Egypt where they take their own lives. And so the outcome of this battle was certainly news. Whether it was gospel or not, depended on your perspective, didn't it? It could be gospel or it could be fear-inducing news, depending on which general you had supported to this point. But to Octavian and to his supporters who were in Rome, this was great news. Rome would be celebrating when they hear the news, okay? Because you have Octavian in Rome and you have um, Mark Antony and Cleopatra in Egypt. Peace is at hand. The war is over. Mark Antony has been defeated. He and Cleopatra have taken their lives. In fact, the phrase good news becomes a slogan for Octavian as he continues his emperorship. He comes to be known in time as Caesar Augustus, the same Caesar who requires the census when Jesus is born. Although his victory was assured after Mark Antony and Cleopatra's tragic end of life, Octavian, or Augustus Caesar, still spent the next two years mopping up opposition throughout Egypt and the Middle East. For two years, the residents in Rome experienced their gospel peace, knowing something had happened. The battle had been won. Augustus Caesar is going to come back to Rome. Everything is going to be right. In the meantime, though, some of their sons, some of their family members are going off to fight in this mopping up work, and some of them didn't come back. The battle had been won, but the full benefits of that victory were still to happen when Augustus would have finally returned to Rome and consolidate his power. For those who had opposed Augustus, Those two years of gospel were a nervous time, right? What would happen when he returned? Herod the Great, for instance, rushed out to to meet him, and uh, I think perhaps Augustus just couldn't be bothered having another fight with him. And so Herod the Great, he he makes this promise. He was a silver-tongued politician, if nothing else, and he says, hey, I was super loyal to Mark Antony. You're expecting, like, okay, off with his head. He says, but I'll be just as loyal to you, you know, and, and, and probably pay you money and different things as well. I'll be just as loyal to you going forward now that you've won. And apparently that got the job done. And, uh, and, and so uh, Caesar Augustus held him to his word and allowed him to be king of uh, uh, Judea, that area around Jerusalem. And so, the nervous time for Herod the Great became good news. Herod the Great, uh, yeah, kept his throne. No doubt, there were some that simply fled, hoping to find shelter elsewhere, hoping to find a place of safety. They experienced the stability of the empire, but lived with fear of retribution. So they weren't they. They could flee to the remote parts of the empire. They could experience the peace, they weren't under threat of all the time. Rome's enemies had been conquered. Um, but even though they were living and experiencing the peace, personally, they were still in fear of retribution. And somebody might tell Caesar, hey, remember that guy that attacked you? I know where he's living. Okay. Even those who'd supported Augustus continued to lose loved ones or property in those ongoing skirmishes. The victory was won, but it was not yet complete. And so that was the understanding of gospel, right? They understood that gospel happened in that sea battle. When Caesar Augustus defeats Mark Antony, they've won. Great news, good news, gospel But for the next two years, there's still all this conflict, still this hurt, still this destruction that's going on. And likewise, we live in the in-between. We live in the good news space. The gospel uh, between already and not yet. There's a famous sermon by uh, Tony Campolo, and if you want to look it up on YouTube, you can. It's called, It's Friday, but Sunday's Coming. It's an Easter Easter sermon. And it's a, a powerful message. As he just sort of lays out that the apostles on Friday, Jesus was dead, but Sunday's coming. And, and how then he relates it to our lives and, and how, you know, we find ourselves in difficult situations that are like Friday. But our Sunday's coming. And, and he does it with a lot of charisma and does and a tremendous job. But it's not quite accurate. You see, the apostles lived on Friday. But on Friday and on Saturday... They didn't know if Sunday was coming. You see? It's true Sunday was coming, but they didn't know that Sunday was coming. They didn't expect the resurrection. They weren't looking for an empty tomb. They went there to prepare a body that was still there. All they knew on Friday and Saturday was the darkness and the despair of Friday and Saturday of a world, of a life without Jesus. On those two days, they didn't have any gospel. But we have gospel. We live not on Friday and Saturday. We don't live on Sunday because Jesus has already risen. We live on Monday. Right? That's where we live. We live on Monday, because we can look back and we know what happens on Friday. We know what Friday feels like in so many areas of our lives. We know what Saturday feels like, where we wonder if God's paying any attention to us and knows what's going on in our lives. And we we look back and we know what happened on Sunday and we know the hope that comes with it, but we're not experiencing that right now because we still feel an awful lot of Saturday leaking into our Sunday and where we are on Monday. And sometimes it's here we are on Thursday, because we've been in this place for a long time, and we're here on Thursday, and we know what happened on Friday. We know what happened on Saturday. We know what happened on Sunday, and we're just waiting. And we're saying, "How long am I going to be waiting? Because we have gospel. Right? We have gospel. We know what Jesus did. And we know what he's going to do. But we don't know when he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it in our lives. We don't know when he's going to do it in the lives of our loved ones. And we don't know when he's going to do it in the life of the church or the life of the world. But we know that he's going to do it. We know that the battle has been won. Death has been defeated. But we live on Monday waiting for whatever the end of the week is going to be. And we have a confident hope that God is still at work on Monday. Something has happened. The tomb is empty. And because of this, we believe something will happen. And this is our good news. That in Jesus, God started something new he has rescued the world and he will rescue the world and that's really what the rest of first corinthians chapter 15 goes on to describe and i encourage you to go ahead and and read that this week to to get the full picture because the reason that paul says this is my summary of the gospel and he leads to the resurrection is he says it makes a difference in your life You see, Paul doesn't say, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is so that you can be baptized. He says, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is so that you can experience the peace and the hope and the comfort that comes with living in the gospel, that comes with living, knowing what happened on Sunday, that comes from living, knowing what God is going to do. That's why I'm reminding you of what the gospel is. You're already Christians. You're already part of God's family, but I want you to experience the gospel. You don't need to respond to the gospel anymore, but you need to experience the gospel because the gospel is good news. And too often we go around as though, well, it was good news. The day I was baptized was such a great day. But all since then, woe and trouble, trouble and woe. But no, we live in good news. We live in hope of the resurrection I want to leave you today with the words that Paul used to open his letter to the Romans for I am not the least bit embarrassed about the gospel I won't shy away from it because it is God's power to save every person who believes first the Jews and then the non-Jew. So whoever you are today, I want to encourage you that the gospel is the power to save you. That everything that Jesus did is done for the benefit of you and I. I want to encourage you to, to, if you want to explore this further, to talk with me afterwards. Talk with someone that you love, someone that you trust, and, uh, and come to understand how is... Jesus, good news in your life. All, right. All righty, we're gonna sing this one before we uh, take a break.